think it's totally time for you to have a beer if you'd like to go for it. Well, hello, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 94 of the Jake This of Jake Johansson podcast. I'm Jake Johansson, and you know what? I'm speaking to you from New Orleans, Louisiana. This is kind of in the middle end of my fantastic vacation down here, and I love it down here, uh, but I love being with you, and so I'm doing this. We're all here because we want to be. I know that about you, and I appreciate that about you, and I hope you appreciate that about me. I'm having a great time. I can tell you about some of the great things that I've seen here at the Jazz Fest. I want to remind you to please come and see me. I don't have time to run down my specifics of my dates this week, but I'm going to Denver, so come and see me at the Comedy Works. Go to my website, jakethis.com. You can hear about that, see about that, and know about me from there, jakethis.com, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so who did I see down here? I saw Rodriguez from that movie Searching for Sugar Man, and it was just a pleasure to lay eyes on him. I have to say that he's an older gentleman now, and uh, there's not going to be a lot of chances to lay your eyes on him while he's singing. So you got to take them while you can get them, and that was that was just a pleasure. Uh, I did not get to see as much of Charlie Wilson as I wanted to see, but that's going to happen next time. And I mean, I saw a ton of people. Carlos Santana, great show. Um, Robin Thicke, surprise, Robin Thicke. I don't know what you think about Robin Thicke based on his hit song, which I happen to have enjoyed. But I thought, well, is that all there is? And I went to see him, and he's that and a lot more a lot more it was an awesome show i'm gonna be buying some tickets to go see robin thick but that's my business that's not your business that's not why we're here to listen to me tell you about things that i'm planning to do in the future but i am trying to help you out and let you know about something that i enjoyed i'm just gonna usually i don't drink during the podcast but i'm gonna take a little sip of a bourbon and water right now why don't you do the same mm. ah, delicious hey my guest this week is peter wilson and you may or may not know her from the TV show La Femme Nikita years back when she was a young hottie. And now, well, none of us are as young as we used to be. And I don't mean, I don't mean to cast any bad light on Peter because I think she is a hottie. And I think we're all hotties, really, when you think about it that way. But I first met her when she was a tenant. She rented out my house. And so we had a tenant landlord relationship for a little while that was not as satisfying as the friendship that we now share. And I ran into her again recently and asked her if she would be on the podcast, and she was kind enough to say yes. And so I met her at her store. She's got a pop-up store because she's got this new concept for this um, women's, uh, well, it's lingerie. I, I, I was going to say underpants and make a joke out of it, but listen, this is this is her new business, and if you're interested in uh, lingerie, she's going to talk about that. She's going to talk about her career. It was a really great conversation, just a pleasure to talk to her, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. It's got some good show business stories, got some underpants talk. Well, you know, we all can't help but be sexy. That's just how we are. It's who, who we are. It's when you get deep down inside of us and you cut us open, there's a squishy... It's like chocolate, but it's not chocolate, and it's full of sexiness, and that's what's inside of all of us. That's what I believe, um, but I have never dissected a human being to know that for sure, and I don't recommend it either, so <laughs> you better look that up on the Internet. If you want to find out about what Pete is talking about, her, uh, her underpants business, you can go to Wiley Wilson. That's what it's called. She, she says, she says it, it came up, the name came up, Why Lie, but it's Wiley, W-Y-L-I-E, 
Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N.com. So you can look that up. I'm going to get around to putting the link to that on my website, but let's face it, I'm on vacation right now, ladies and gentlemen, and this is the most that I can do. Believe me, this is me operating on all cylinders, full speed ahead. I should be at a party right now, but instead, I'm here with you. Why? Because I care. Am I crazy for caring? No, I don't think so. And I think that's going to be proven one day when we all meet up together at a bar for some good times. So without further ado, please welcome. Well, I don't know. You don't really have to clap or anything. But uh, if you're on the treadmill, clap clap, or uh, crank it up. Why don't you just crank it up? Why don't you do a little skippy step right now for my friend Peter Wilson? Here we go. Jake. Peter. So happy to have had you as my landlord. Yeah, well, I'm happy to now be your friend. I feel like the (laughs) landlord relationship was good, but we're really headed into new territory now. Yeah, and it was good that we just, it was good that I, we quit while we were ahead as far as being tenant and landlord. It it seemed could have gone awry. How many places have you lived now since you lived at uh, our house? Um, I'm actually on my, uh, counting yours, this will be my third place. I moved from you guys down to the sort of shishi part of Santa Monica. Well, kind of. I, I was down on Hart, down uh, right by the beach, which was really great. I had a great time, lived in a lovely little house looking at the ocean until my very uptight neighbour got most upset at panties hanging in the window. It was just panties? That was the problem? Well, it could have been... Well, there was a couple of issues. Maybe it was the... The night that there was a few friends over about five o'clock and, and you know, three of the girls decided to do a dash around the house in the underwear. Some it, but of. in your house, aren't, well, I, aren't in, people allowed when you're in your house to do what they want? Well, it would have been fine if they'd stayed in my house, but they ran around my house. So oh, the neighbour was exposed to some, a couple of girls from the Midwest in underwear. <clears throat> well, I'm sort of glad that we didn't have those parties while you were at uh, our house. That might have been a little bit... A lot for us to handle. No, look, also, she, you know, I was. We were, they were just testing the fact that this was certainly a, a set of underwear that you could be seen out in. Oh, was and this a testing of your new product? Yeah, it was these? a testing of my new product because I said, "Look, these are the kinds of underwear that you can not only just wear to bed, but you could actually go out in the world in them." Well, you told me that you could go swimming in them, but I, they don't really seem like bathing suit underwear that you've got here. Well, the ones with the fishnets in the back, you could go swimming in Croatia. But you could not go swimming in Los Angeles. Some of these you could definitely. Well, no, go I mean like that's a, that's a, I'm holding up a pair now. That's it looks like a bathing suit, but this is not going to be. It's not going to hold up under chlorinated pool or salt water conditions. Well, the reality of the matter is, Jake, when you go swimming, after you go swimming, you are supposed to rinse off the chlorine of your body and your garments. Yeah, no, I understand that, but these these. Garments seem a bit dainty to to be dunking in the ocean in the pool to me. Listen, I am not a dainty character, and there is no way that I didn't I want would... to have to tell you that. No, I, I just I have realised that in the last ten minutes. Uh-huh. That, um, I so I would not make underwear that would not stand up to tough conditions. Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot to went into the conception of this, but one of the things I was thinking about was I need to have something good to go Friday night. And if I don't get home till Saturday afternoon, it's fine because I've had an outfit that I could wear out. I could do a show at 11 o'clock if the crowd was right. And if I wanted to go swimming at 7 o'clock in the morning, I was still good to go. So these underwears are multi-purpose. Right, right. There's no point in having something that's not multi-purpose. Well, I have to say that I bought a pair when I came down to visit you last week and I gave them to my wife and she was very happy and so uh, they they worked did you notice the that like butt cleavage like I've, I've kind of there's this sort of low cut <laughs> between Brazilian and French and it just sits so that even a white girl's ass that's not much of a bubble if you position the panties correctly you can cover the lower cheek that sort of hangs out that kind of sexy cheek bit and have that little tiny crevice at the top like a cleavage almost or women can cover their cleavage and have a little bit of the cheek you know it's it's quite you notice that There's you're gonna get one thought. or the other yeah no i didn't realize that that much thought went into it i have the, the things that you're describing are thoughts that i have had before but i've never said out loud because i thought well man is not you're not allowed to say look the best part is the butt cleavage or or that thing where you don't have the thong underwear but where you see those above your pants like in a plumber that's not attractive but in a lady oh look she's got a crazy pair of underpants on yeah, I mean, I tend to... That's dental floss. I've really had some issues. I have made some G-strings now. I don't wear them because I feel like they're not they don't good for make a, me... They're not good for a girl on the go. No, they're not good for a girl on the go. They feel rather uncomfortable to me. But I do understand that there are a lot of girls out there that like the dental floss as underwear. So I have made very attractive underwear dental floss. Um, and it does look nice coming out of the jeans, I, I guess. I guess. Well, there's a little bit trashy. But the other thing that you were describing, the butt cleavage. Anyway, my wife really liked the underpants, and I feel like they're... they're really terrific. Yeah. Well, I tell you, if I hadn't have got... I mean, I loved being in Santa Monica, but the truth be told, that neighbour I had, she got a petition. She tried to get everyone in the street to sign a petition that having underwear in the windows was unsightly for such a neighbourhood. I was really offended because the fabrics I've collected from all over the world. So were you hanging up the underwear to just do a display to, like, check out what I'm working on? Or I, <laughs> for, when you first said you had underwear hanging in the window, I thought, oh, you're just doing your laundry and you're leaving it hanging in the window. But No. No, I had a small house. I think the whole house was a 1,000 square feet. So my living room was also my workspace and my bedroom for a time there. Mm-hmm. So I had boards up surrounding all the windows to work from with underwear and pieces of fabric pinned up. Right. So sometimes when the underwear was done, I'd turn the boards around so the done ones would be facing the street. It was economical. So these are brand new, clean pairs of artisanal underpants. Yeah, artisanal. Just one. Actually, artisanal. I think it's artisanal. water. I think you're right, yeah. Anyway, something arty. Yes, beautiful handmade incredible pieces of art just like the women that were going to be wearing them against the window pane yeah beautiful now i did get a few people came by to say hi not anyone with a petition to have me removed from the street what was rather funny is that i then took the petition and i went door to door and i held my beautiful underwears in my hands and i said to the neighbors listen I'm an artist. I don't mean to offend you. Actually, I'm actually, I don't want to provoke you. These are supposed to be evocative, not provocative. 
I like being here. The beach is inspiring and I'm making these little pieces of art. So if you're offended, please let me know and I'll put curtains up. And then I was promptly made aware that everyone actually loved it and thought it was fantastic and what was I making? This one particular woman did move. She moved to the Palisades, which says everything. So, and shortly after then got divorced from her poor husband. Maybe it was that day that I gave him a... He was a bit down. He had had a haircut and I... <laughs> I'd say to him how good he looked with that haircut and gave him a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Maybe she didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, whatever. You're not going to win all the time, are you? No, so Anyway, I came to Venice and I moved into a loft in the hood next to the brothers... And um, it was a very big loft, the Japanese own. I didn't believe in the internet. I found it in the newspaper. When I walked in, I said, can I sew here? Can I have a little factory with a Spanish armada? She said, yes, of course. And I brought my son over and it looks like a storage unit. And Marlo's like, mum, we've now moved into a storage unit. I said, darling, this is an artistic loft in Venice. He said, I really liked the Santa Monica beach. I said, look... This is just for a period of time. But you're not far from the beach, right? He could easily walk to the beach. He's an able young man. He could easily walk if he'd like to walk, but walking's not Marlo's favourite thing to do. No, look, it's good where we are. It was very funny the first day we walked in. Great loft, great space, but, you know, in a rather dodgy, still rather dodgy part of Venice, which is hard because everything's been gentrified. There's big. It's hard to home. find the dodgy parts. Yeah, that's well, what I was going to say. Not on Oakwood and 7th, it's not, because it is, you know, brotherland. And, um, well, there's still some projects over in there around, so you can wind up getting or public housing kind of. Oh, no, they've turned those public housings into, like, a beautiful apartment buildings that have been done by Hermes or something. Like, people are buying those projects off the plan from Europe at, like, a million dollars an apartment. So that is now... There's no more projects. But where I happen to live, there is a park called Oakwood Park, and it's owned by the locals. It was owned by an African-American man, and it is still owned by the African-American community. It's their park. So when I first moved in, there was a lot of gardeners, a lot of Spanish, a lot of... And I just walked straight down to the biggest black men I could find with the fanciest cars and I said hey I'm the honky that's moved in down the road with a little honky kid I'm a single mum I just want to let you know that I'm here I'm I'm cool or I'm going to try and be cool and um you know just can you let me know what's up I tried to be as cool as I possibly could it was very funny how did it work out they thought I was great because there was like 40 of them standing around a park and I walked straight into the middle of these big black sort of gangster guys And I became friends with the sort of leader. That first evening, there was a crack deal that happened in the back alley, which made me rather uncomfortable. Um, And I did go see the brother the next day and said, listen, perhaps you could give me a heads up when there's any action happening in the neighbourhood. Was it gunfire-y? No, there was just like a lot of cops in the back alley with a lot of dudes and a lot of stuff happening and... But, you know, That's I'd, not so good on your first night no, in the neighbourhood. No, I didn't sleep so well. Yeah. It wasn't great. But then we, you know, so now we have code. I get texted. Perhaps you should go away this weekend kind of thing, you know. But it's great. Look, it's a wonderful neighbourhood. <laughs> You're getting texted to leave the no, neighbourhood. No, no, it's not quite so bad. Yeah, no, I feel like that It's not. Happen. I'm just exaggerating. Yeah. That's I tend to do. But, you know, it's been good. You know, I've got like eight machines there, a wonderful Spanish armada and... Just panties galore. I don't know how this happened. You're running a sweatshop. Yeah. Well, it's a little different because my sewers... Okay, you know, in America you have nannies, right? In Australia we have nanas. So, usually in America... But is a nana a nanny or is a nana... A nana is your mother. 
and she's the yeah. nana. Yeah. You know, that's what my mother said once um, to somebody, you know. Uh, so, you know, here in this country you have uh, Latinos that help you with the kids and, you know, my sewers are like – you know, I, they're they're taking care of my baby, which is this business. And if it, the sewing's not great, I have nothing. So my sewers are treated the best in the company. They're treated like they run the show, so, and they but, sit beside me at lunch. I cook them food most days, and I check in with them, and I let them teach us and tell us how to do it right. So they're making these underwear in the house where you're also living? It's yeah. all happening in the same place? It's all happening in the same place. But they are, there's three levels to my house. So my garage has turned into quite an artistic room with like eight sewing machines and music playing and, you know. Man, I don't know why we came here to the store when we could have gone there. I know. To the well, factory. Well, if I'd been there at the factory, there'd been lots of questions. Miss Peter, what about this brass support? Miss Peter, you know, and I would have been like cutting fabrics, measuring yeah, things, this is trying the only way to. You can have time. Yeah, and I've got this terrible thing that I do. They don't understand me. They don't speak my language, and I I have a hard time speaking my language. But they. Well, you're speaking English, but you're also you've got a little Australian accent thing too. I so. do have a lot going on but I actually have a hard time sometimes finding my words. I have a hard time speaking my own language. So it's very I find difficult. that hard to believe. I do. It's true. And, but I have a hard time with them um, communicating. So I have a, a girl working for me. My, all the girls that work for me are generally Spanish. The media girls, the directors, the sa- every, every one of them. But the, the Spanish girls, they're, like, they're more white than I am. You know, there's, they're sort of American Spanish. They're white, beautiful white girls. But they interpret for me. And it's just so funny because I always find myself speaking in some kind of broken English with a Spanish accent, thinking they're going to understand But that that's going to help. Yeah, but it, it sometimes comes out Russian. And they just look at me and I go, understand? You got me? And they just, you know... You're trying. At I'm least really you're trying. trying. At doing, least you're trying. We're doing very well. They're being. They're doing a great job of making like double G and J bras. They're all, what does that mean? Double G. That's like some kind that of. That means like abnormally massive tits. A big, big rack. And the challenge is who wears a double G bra? Girls, women. No, women. I mean I guess, but I mean I just very need to big s- breasted women. A lot of Spanish women. A lot of African American women. That's very, but you don't even hear about that. I know. Well, there was a girl in here yesterday with a triple D. I've never heard that before. But she... Well, D is big, but G is a few F... D, E, F, G. G, D, E, F, G. That's the size of your cup. So, like, you got to every... It's another inch. So, double D, and then there's another inch, another inch. D, E, F, G. Inch, inch, inch. Yeah, there's more inches. Yeah. but I actually rallied a good because I am trying to prove a point. I have made an underwire bra. Well, I have made a push-up bra without a wire that gives the girls a lift and support like a push-up. And the reality is, we wear those wire bras because we want them to look good. We want them to stand at attention. They're not comfortable, but we do it. So I've made a bra that does all that without a wire. It takes twenty-seven pieces of construction to do it. And three years of working at it, and basically I happened upon it by making a mistake. And I made this mistake, and all of a sudden the girls were up at attention. I went, oh, this is genius. So I now have been here in this little shop, and I actually look for girls on the street with big tits. 
big breasts, sorry. Mm-hmm. And there was one the other day. Do you just walk right up to him then? Yeah, I do. There was one. And what do you say? There was one. She was quite sad. She had a little sad look on her face. She was very pretty. She looked smart. Definitely went to university. I could tell. Mm -hmm. Having not gone. So I walked up and said, hello, how are you? And I said, oh, I make underwear. I've got the new underwear shop up the street. You should come in. She said, oh, you wouldn't be able to make bras for a woman with my size. And I went, want to bet? And she looked at me and I, she said, actually, I came into your store and I only saw little tiny pieces on the... I said, I told Lizette we needed the big ones out. No, I tell you, <laughs> we can make ones just for you. Come back. So she came in here mm-hmm. and I had a couple of big ones and I yeah. put them on her and all of a sudden those boobs that were... She thought they were really hanging low. They were actually uh-huh. fantastic. But when I put the bra on and they sat up, you could just see she started smiling. She couldn't believe it. Because some of these women set a day, set like an entire week aside to find a bra that works for them. So she had fittings. At that Later on that afternoon, she came back with my bra fitter and we got, she's got two bras coming her way that have no wire and that give her everything she needs. Your bra fitter. My bra fitter. Lizette. Uh-huh. This all happened by a major accident, the whole thing, essentially. Well, that's what I was going to back up now to get oh. to where... Because you didn't start off as a person who was making uh, artisanal and engineered, specially engineered undergarments for ladies. No. And they're not all for... They, well, they're not all for big ladies. You do... But they're really great. So people can look at them. It's called Wiley Wilson. It's on the internet, right? Yeah, it's on the internet. I actually am going to take up... I've been trying to find the appropriate men because I think your idea of adding a man to the site... Because we don't really... At the moment, if they go on, they'll see zeros and smalls because that's what I have at the moment. But I've found all these mediums, larges, extra larges and extra, extra larges because everything's going to be on video. So it's like Wiley why, why is why lie, you know, so you can see what a girl really looks like. Um, w, W-Y-L-I-E, Wilson. Wiley. Wiley. Wiley Wilson. It's see, Wiley if it was Wiley, it would be W-H-Y. I know, but I, know I don't you spell knew that. correctly. I know. It's well, it's handy, though, as far as the internet goes, and you want people to look things up, and then you have a memory mnemonic thing like Why Lie, but then it's not spelled like Why yeah, Lie. You should spell it like that, maybe. I well, well get or you could domain. buy the other domain. Shh, don't say it. They're going to hear something. Oh, like Jesus. I forgot we're on the internet. Oh, God. Now I forgot where I was. That happens well, you were all the t- time. Yeah. You know, my brain is like a computer. There's like a whole lot of tabs open, and then sometimes it just crashes, like right <laughs> now. I forgot where we were. I th- well, what I was going to ask you to do is to back up from your career. Well, you, I know you've got great show business career stories, oh, but you are the successful actress star of this show, and now you're selling. Now you're doing this designer undergarments. I know what a crazy thing. You know, I, I loved acting, and I I was good at it, and I was I was very lucky. I had you're only as I sort of think you're really only as good as the people that represent you, honestly. You know, and I, I had a mm. wonderful, I had a wonderful manager, and I had a wonderful agent when I was sort of really doing well. And you know, I I had a child and took some time off to have him and grew him and build a house and kind of just tried to relax a little bit after working hard for ten years. I thought I need a breath and then I'll come back and go hard again. But you know. I didn't count in that once I had a child, I might change, 
which I did considerably, and I loved being a mother, and I, I found it hard to leave him. I didn't really want to. How do you mean change, though? I just, my, you know, I think a lot of being successful as an actor has got to do with drive, you know, to be in that top 1% that works. Yes, you've got to be very good and talented. You have to be right where the opportunities are, but you've got to have that serious hunger and drive so that when you walk in the door, like the other 50, you're the one that they remember. It's almost, it's almost a sociopath, not sociopathic, but it's like you have to be a little bit driven to, to the point where it, it's diagnosable. Like that's not healthy for you to want something that much well, almost. You, Do you know I, what I mean? Yeah, I know. Like you'll you sacrifice anything to get your acting career going. You, you know, if it's a relationship, well, look, if it's not going to work out, this is what I'm doing. You know, I feel yeah. like people in their 20s especially are like that. In, well, I, think, I think the 20s, if you're going to be that way, is the right way to be, driven and motivated. Right. I always had this idea that I wanted to get out of the small town. I really don't want to be playing in the quarry with an old car. I'd like to be in New York. You know, like my life, I was from a, you know, rather, um, you know, humble background. My father was military. I moved around a lot. You know, I was in the jungle, the outback. Everything. Not just all in Australia. No, no, I was in New Guinea until I was about nine, you know, so I lived in a native environment. I, I didn't see television until I was about five. I came down to Australia on the back of a Hercules aeroplane in a little red dress when I was about four and a half, five. And I came to my nana's house for a holiday for three weeks. We pretended I was sick and I stayed for three months. My father had to come and get me. We pretended I had measles so I didn't have to leave. And I found the television and I saw I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched and that was the end of it. I was like, oh. This for me. I've got to go in that in that box. I want to be in that. So I went back to New Guinea, and my auntie had made me up genie outfits. And I went back, and I used to do shows in front of the natives. They were the best audience. You're in so New Guinea with dressed up like I dream of genie. I dream genie. Five, six years old. Six years old doing shows, oh. and my poor brother had to be all the male parts. And I would be mm-hmm. like, he'd be like, I don't want to do this. I said, if you don't, I'm not going to play with you. So who are you going to play with? Nobody. You know, so I, I used to make him... Tough, even at that age. He, very I mean, assertive. Yeah, you he, were assertive. he went on to work for the SAS in Australia. And, you and know, what's the SAS? That's like the... Special Forces, you know. He was wow. a soldier. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that anymore. He's retired, but so funny. I mean, you know, I go, Rob, what do you mean they drop you in the ocean, you know, three miles from the shore and you've got to walk to the shore in the dark? What do you do about the sharks? He goes, well, you just punch them. What do you mean you just punch them? He said, well, they just come up. You know, you just punch them in the nose. I said, what if your timing's off? And he said, your timing's not off. But not, and I was thinking about that. Maybe it was my ex- hardness on him making him dress up in things. But, yeah, I did that. that. caused him to be a, to, to be a special forces guy. He yeah, strong, you know. So there was a lot of entertainment going on at an early age just because of the boredom. So... The natives were great crowd, you know, they always loved what I did. So I never had this, I never, I never, there was no falling. Uh, You know, I kind of became an actor all by accident, really. I I wasn't really in pursuit of it. I'd had a lot of interesting things. I met the Queen when I was nine, you know. I met Lee Marvin when I was 15. How'd you get to meet the Queen and Lee Marvin? I know, it sounds so out of control. Was it because of your dad? Did he have some kind of great job? Nothing, dad had no idea about any of that. He was like, you know, dad was like, my father was a bit of a – he was like a Harrison Ford, Paul Newman type. He was a cop and a race car driver at night. I mean, he was just ridiculous. I, I, Paul Newman was an actor and a race car driver. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, I think my dad – I know my dad wanted to be an actor, but my grandfather just said that wasn't a, that wasn't a man's job, mm-hmm. you know, to be of service. Anyway, so let's go. Where were uh, – 
I've lost myself again. So you're driven. You've had a. You've, you're having this crazy childhood yeah, where no, you want right. to be on TV. I went to the Queen. That's right. I said to my mum, we were out in the middle of Australia, sheep shearing town. There's nothing to do there. Swat flies. You know, go to the hay shed. Like nothing. Milk farms. And I said, Mum, the Queen's coming to town. I want to meet her. Mum's like, you're nine years old. You're not going to meet the Queen. It's a two and a half hour train ride. Oh, come on, Mum. Let's go into town. Like. I think I'm going to meet her. Is it two and a half hours to get to town yeah. from where you are? Yeah, two and a half oh hours on the train. And my mother was like, all right, okay, we're going to town. We've got to go and get some things anyway. So I put my little outfit on. I put my Mork and Mindy's hairdo on and my little shorts. And then I go to the mall, thousands and thousands of people. And I sort of wiggle my way up the front like a little groupie, you know, and I stand up with this white head and... Um, she walks past the queen like a ghost and then she stops and she looks down at me. She shakes my hand. She puts her hand out. She shakes my hand and acknowledges me. Well, I met the queen and that set something in my mind that absolutely anything was possible because I had said I'm going to meet the queen and I did. I don't know, about 15 mm. years old. I, I went, I was working on a dive boat. I was up in Cairns and I'd bait hooks, you know, bake the fish for marlin boats. You know, I was like, a, I knew about fishing because my family were fisher people and I used to go fishing with my pop in the mornings before school when I'd stay with him, catch breakfast. And um, I was working on a dive boat just on Wednesday afternoons and this one day I came down, like I took afternoons off school. And, um, so you're not living in this other small town now? You're no, I'm in another small place. town up in Cairns, which is where the marlin fishing, the so Great Barrier Reef. Sheep, it's not sheep, it's fish. It's now fish and God knows, yeah, it's, it's, it's just Australia. It's a rugged place. Um, so I'm on this boat and then all of a sudden this man comes down the board, the thing, like the walk, and he gets on the boat and I'm like 15, 16 years old, long blonde hair, total tomboy. And... This guy comes on the boat and he's sort of familiar and I don't think about it. And then he asks for a wild turkey. I serve him his drink and I, we start an hour and a half out on the boat and we get out there and I start baiting the hooks and talking to him. And it was Lee Marvin and he was marlin fishing, you know, because he loved marlin fishing. And uh-huh. so I spent five hours with him that day, six hours, and he did really well and I kind of gave him some tips about where I thought the fish might be. Because you're the local smarty. Well, I didn't know. I just had a bit – I had instinct. And my dad mm-hmm. had taught me. They, I'd learned a bit. Anyway, we got back down and he's like, so what are you doing tomorrow, kid? And I said, well, I've got school. And he put $500 cash US down. He said, well, how would you like to come to this school tomorrow? So I did like seven days with him on a boat. And he's paying you five hundred bucks just to hang out with him. Five hundred bucks to bait the hooks and you know serve him his wild turkeys. And I no, mean, I no would terrible. This isn't a prostitution story. Well, no, it's not prostitution at all. There was none of that, none of that. But he was super cool. I mean, to be fifteen and meet Lee Marvin. Come on, think well, about to it. To go fishing and he must have enjoyed your company so much. But he's paying you to hang well, out. Well, I think it. I mean, I was definitely funny. You know, we yeah. had a good laugh, and mm-hmm. I don't think he'd ever met sort of a fifteen, sixteen-year-old girl that was quite so I was having a good time with him mm-hmm. anyway at the what's end what's the name of, it, of that town Cairns Cairns at the end of it nothing much there Jake at the end of it he said to me you should find your way to Hollywood and I looked at him and I went you think and he went yeah I could see you there and that was it and then I you know my life because was a series of coincidences that ended up I was here and I came at 20 on walkabout and I met an actor and 
he put me in drama school and I didn't I all of a sudden I was like, Well, okay. Who's let's the give actor? this a go. Somebody Yeah, it is someone really well known, but I'm just not sure. All right, all right. I could, I guess. It doesn't matter. I mean, I guess I could, but then makes what? Makes a good story. Well, so anyway, you come here, you meet this, you think about he it. He was an Oscar-winning Latin actor. How about that? That's about, you know, and really talented. And he wasn't famous then. So anyway, I went to drama school. He put me in drama school. And uh, thanks to him, I had a really nice life. I studied really hard. And six years later, I walked out of there and had a show within... A week. That was here, drama school in Los Angeles? Yeah, or? I worked with an amazing Mexican teacher named Arthur Mendoza, who now doesn't teach anymore, but he was incredible and so tough on, you know, skinny white girls, you know, because, you know, he was. And so I learned a lot and I knew what to do. I came out, I started to work immediately. And before I knew it, I was kind of doing something that I guess I'd always dreamed of, but, it was, you know, I did it, and it was great. Um, well, you were telling me the other day when I was down here about that, uh, when, you got, when you got the big show, the, um, the Femme Nikita show, mm-hmm. that you had three auditions, yeah. and you got all three of them in one... Yeah, I had a comedy, a sitcom at Fox, which is actually... The, and I played a gold-digging stepmother who had loads of plastic surgery... I hadn't, but I obviously I don't know. Uh, maybe it looked like I had, and uh, and then a western at CBS playing a saloon whore, and then this show. And of course, I wanted to do the comedy. I went to lunch with the actor. He tried to come on to me, and I knocked him. I slapped him. That was the end of that. That wasn't going to happen. And then the western, they decided to go with a really big movie star. Um, so that didn't happen. Then this TV show, Nikita. They wanted to shoot it in Prague, and I said no way. And then they moved it to Canada. And then I thought, well, it probably won't go. I might as well just go and do it because, you know, it's my turn to chip in. My ex had been yeah. incredible. And so I did the show. And the last words he said to me before I left to go and do it, you better make it a hit because you're putting our relationship on the line. Terrible thing to say to someone. Who? This is the famous Latin actor. That's no, no, the Latin actor was long gone. Who, was know, the, who said that? Then? This was my son's father, the man that oh, I was with oh, yes. for right. many years. Um he, he actually taught me work ethic. Never, no one's, I've never seen anyone work harder than him. And so I went off and did this show. It was great. Had a really good time. Loved being in Canada. Loved the Canadians. Very funny. Really fabulous people. It's funny because I tried to watch that show because, I mean, I'd been your friend and obviously I knew that you had done that show and I had my impression of what I thought that show was like because I had seen the movie. And then I, I, I thought, well, I should watch it because I'm going to come and talk to you. And uh, it's kind of of that time period. And it also is from a time before they would make U.S. shows in Canada, and they, but they would still look like they were U.S. shows. This show has a definite international feel to it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like an American show, even though there's people with American accents in it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems it's it's very it's very kind of an alternate universe thing. It's it's a science fiction it's show. Toronto. But it also, huh? It's Toronto, an altered universe, you know, like it, well it does feel a little bit like Toronto. Are they shooting this in Australia or <laughs> is it is this it's is it meant to be the future of some other country or you know, it's really I, like I couldn't figure out exactly what was wrong or right with it, but the, but yeah, it's this, Toronto. It's Toronto. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it's Toronto. <laughs> no, it was. They listen. They had very little money, and I think they did an incredible job with that. That crew were amazing. 
amazing. They were from Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, like Newfoundland. I mean, we had such a mix of crew mm-hmm. and putting them all together is what made the show. We had Russian seamstresses. We had – it was great. I mean, it basically was about a subculture of like an Oliver North kind of world. And, you know, it was the first – of its kind, like after us came NCIS and all those, you know, all the shows with all of the digital everything. You know, we were the sort of the first ones doing all of that. Yeah, yeah. And it was also, it had been a long time since there was a female lead, like like this kind mm-hmm. of character on television. <laughs> it was also the first of the cable shows. Basically, La Femme Nikita was what the first show that people had to really buy on cable. So Barry Diller bought USA Network. I was it was the first real cable show, and it broke out. So I was on the cover of the New York Times and TV Guide, and you had to buy it. After us came Sopranos, came loads mm-hmm. of cable shows. It changed everything, you know. Well, people who were watching it didn't have to buy it, but the station had to buy it in order to air it. Yeah, so, exactly. So, but, but yeah, it's it's a, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was it was yeah it was uh, back then long time ago you know so it was good fun i had a great time um and basically a great character because you get to play sort of a tomboy which is kind of how you how you are to me and then you're sexy and then you're tough but you're sort of put in this position where you have to be tough that was the thing that i was saying the other day is when i watched the pilot i didn't realize because when i when i had watched the movie it was like she was really a bad girl but in the in the show you're wrongfully convicted of this murder that you just kind of accidentally did. Yeah, right? well, listen, when I went for the audition, I wasn't thinking I was going to get the job, but I did look at the script and I knew that they'd been trying to cast it for like five years. And I went, well, they're making it. I mean, they're trying to put a hero on television, but a drug addict, rich kid, cop killer, entitled, mm-hmm. is not a hero. In my mind. Like, how can you root for that girl? So I just made her... I looked at all the street kids in the US and I went, she's an angel on wolf's clothing who's been a runaway and on the streets and she was a young girl because of her circumstances. So it's made her very tough and she seems like she could kill someone when she's not really that way. So I didn't change the dialogue, but I changed the character. The backstory. So well, you changed the backstory. The backstory. Is what you're saying, so when I saying. did the auditions, it really worked because she was an anti. She didn't really want to hurt anyone, but she would to defend herself. But they put herself. that backstory into the. Yeah, they did. Into the beginning of the, they of the did, show. Because when I got the show, they still hadn't sold at Warner Brothers. So I had to go from network to network with Joel Cernow and do the auditions for all these network executives in the dark on these comedy sets of shows. like, And then in the dark, they'd file in and ask me all these questions about the character, the executives. And then finally, USA bought it. They went with it. They went, so okay. to sell it, they didn't shoot it? They, they would do, like, staged scenes and vignettes and then interview... I got the part with Warner Brothers. That was the first right. thing. Let's get the girl. And then they had to have a place to put it. They weren't going to put it on Warner. It wasn't going on the WB. And so they they took me around, Joel, to audition. I said to him, look, I'm not sure if I'm going to do the show, but let's just go and do this. And they took me around and I auditioned. He read with me. Joel Cernow read with me. Uh-huh. And it didn't even matter. I could have been reading with the wall. At that time, I was so sharp as an actor, it didn't matter. And he was there, and then I'd do the auditions in front of these executives, all the scenes, and then I'd sit there in the dark, and they'd, these voices would come out of the dark asking me questions about this woman and how she'd be where she was. And well, but it's very weird. It sounds like you've got like all pitching. this... It's like Yeah, but you've got all this 
power. You're on board as almost a producer, and they haven't really even sold the show yet, right? No, but I didn't know that. I was 26 years old. I had no idea. Right. I just thought it was part of my job. I thought it was part of me yeah, getting you the have job. A show, so now we're going to help you. You're going to help us sell the show. Well, I didn't even know that. I just thought, yeah. well, we've got to get it. I've just got to do this. This is part of me getting the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did the job, and it was great. I, you know, uh, it was challenging, you know, and I guess that show could have gone longer, but they. You know, they weren't prepared to give me any of the pie at all, essentially, not even 1%. So that's why I finished the show. How many years did it go? Five. Well, yeah, five. A- but it didn't do 100 episodes. Had they given me just that little 1%, I would have done 100 episodes. I probably well, would have kept doing then- it. Back then, it was the, the thing was it was hundred was the magic number to get syndicated, yeah. right? Yeah, but it still got syndicated. It was right nowadays, nowadays it doesn't matter. And doesn't something matter. like that, where it's got that sci-fi angle, there's people you can Netflix. We can't. In, it's not available to instantly watch. You have to get the discs. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's yeah. going to be one of those things. But in the end, look, I would have kept doing it. I would like to have had a piece of the show. It didn't happen. I couldn't do other movies. They weren't about to let me out to do some of the big opportunities. And then basically at the end of it, I was really tired and I got knocked up. You know, I wanted to have a baby. And my son's... With a boyfriend who... My son's father. relationship you were jeopardizing. Well, the one we'd, we'd survived the five years. Yeah. It was yeah. hard, but we'd done it. We'd been together seven or eight, I Did think. Did he relocate up to Canada with He you? came up to Toronto for a while. In mm-hmm. the middle of that, we shot a film together while I was on the series. He directed a movie and I was in it with Ellen Barkin. So, and what was that called? It was called Mercy, and it was a lipstick lesbian serial killer thriller. Oh, well, yeah, perfect Canadian that's, film. That's all I, yeah, I'm going to just. That's it. I had love scenes with Ellen Barkin. It's worth a look. It's mm-hmm. worth a look, you know. So, he came and did that with me. We survived it. Um, you know, we had a few ups and downs, but his father was a very big actor. His father was Richard Harris, so he had experienced all of this his whole life, you know. So we made it through and then I decided we, – we had we decided to have a child and um, I was in Australia and I was building this beautiful house on the beach thanks to Warner Brothers and all the fans. You know, I I, I was no longer I – I had a house and I was building this place and then I came back to – I was coming back to L.A. and I went to see my mother and my grandmother – and then I was supposed to go back September 15th and September 11th happened and it happened like I had an apartment in New York looking at the... I was on the river on Brooklyn looking at that, you know... So you were there? You were in New York? No, I was actually in Australia when it happened. I was flying back to L.A. to have the baby and then I saw that towers come down and I just went, I think I'm going to go back to the beach in this small town with 4,000 people and just have a calm pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed in Australia and there is where we, when we broke up, my ex and I, he was not happy about I that. See, yeah, but yeah. it was all good. You know, we were very good friends. We had a beautiful, healthy child. And when Marlo was about six, I did one big movie uh, with Sean Connery. That was a great experience. And, but I, I had a hard time. My mother came and my stepfather, they came and took care of the baby. And, um, that was while you you were back in Australia, you did the movie? I got the movie. I actually did the audition on my veranda when Marla was six weeks old. It was a film called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. 
Oh, I saw that movie. And it was a very movie. good part. And everyone in L.A. wanted this part. I guess I have to watch it again. I don't remember. Yeah, I was the oh, vampire. Oh. The dark-haired vampire, Mina Harker. And I actually auditioned for it. Fox had tried to get me for the X-Men and a couple of other things while I was at Warner Brothers. And I couldn't get out of my commitments with Nikita. These people with their contracts. Yeah. Anyway, that was... But they were fans, which was nice. And I... Audition. My grandmother, they wrapped me up in bandages because I was still had just had a baby. They wrapped me up and I went down to the local TAB and I got like an ex, you know, TAB? The, the bedding hall in the town. And I went down to the local betting like, hall. Like off-track betting Yeah, off-track. Where you bet on horse races. Yeah, and I went down there and I was trying to find someone to read the Sean Connery lines. And I found this old... <laughs> From, so you... Yeah, okay. so I went down... So I found this old guy who was an ex-airline steward. And he was still got it, you know, quite a little uh-huh. vain. And, uh-huh. and I went, okay, that, that guy. And I paid him $100. And I said, can you come to my house this afternoon? I need you to read lines, like for a movie. You've got a lot of good ideas, Peter. I mean... If well, I was can. doing an no, but if I I've had to do auditions on tape, and I've never thought like I got to cast someone like you went out and cast the person who was going to read the other part of the audition. You didn't just have your mom do it or some dude who was hanging around. You were like, no, nah, I've got to go ballpark Sean Connery. And where do you go? You go to the off track betting. Well, no, place. I, the thing was, I had my nana there, and she was taking care of the six week year old baby. And God love him, I had my uncle Ross who had some weird allergy to bird droppings and was waiting for a lung transplant. So he was like Dennis Hopper from Blue Velvet <laughs> oh with this breathing God. machine. And, you know, as it was, he had to hold the camera. So I had to get the scenes out before he started coughing fit. So mm-hmm. there was really no one to read lines. Right. So I just went down the betting hall. I got this guy called Cliff. He arrived and he was the star of the whole audition. You know, it was mm-hmm. very funny. Is he in the movie as well then? No, he didn't make he, he it didn't to the film. The movie, yeah. But I did the audition and my grandmother's like, that last take was a bit flat. You need to run around the house. So I ran around the house ten times. Wow. I ran around the house ten times and then said, now do it. Action. And I sat there and they filmed it and we got the take out before my uncle burst into like a horrible coughing fit. I just was able to cut him out of that as the camera started to shake. And then I had to do a shot where I was standing up so they could see my figure. As they do. And so I stood up and they panned down and they turned out. And right at that moment, someone came in and called the dog. And then this, in the middle of the shot, this blue healer just jumps through the shot. This dog uh-huh. fighting. So anyway, I just sent it. The Fox courier was there for the tape. They took the tape. Apparently, Sean Connery saw it. They all saw it. I got the part. The next thing I'm going to, from the tiny town over to do this big film. And so I did the movie and it was great, a great time. Mm-hmm. And in the end, um, you know, when I came back to L.A. after the film, I just didn't want to be there. I just had this little baby. He was like a year and a half old and I wanted to go back to the bush. My step, my... Now the bush... Meaning Australia. Yeah, Any, well, yeah, well, people, I know the bush from New Zealand also. That's what they call the woods or the forest or the sticks or the... Out country, but we don't call the bush that here. I know we don't, but I just think when I say I'm going to Australia from here, it's the bush. You're going to the bush. It doesn't, you know, I'm going south. I'm going to Australia I for just, me. I, I was listening to some conversation on another podcast where someone said the bush, and the person, the American person who was listening, was like, "You mean you went to the like the bush, like the shrub." Over there. Yeah, you went over to shrub. a particular bush, but you didn't. You went back to the bush. You decided you were done. You did the movie, and you wanted to be out. Yeah, it's funny because I actually love being in the country, in the bush now. I didn't really like it much when I was younger. But, yeah, I went back, and um, whilst there, um, 
my manager passed away and he was sort of the best thing ever. Michael McLean, his name was. And <clears throat> when I came back, they sort of put me with these sort of hot people, these managers, and I just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right anymore, Jake. And I thought, I've just got to do something else. This doesn't feel right. And that's how it all happened. I was back in Australia. I don't know, my nana, we had our last Christmas together and, you know, she was dancing on the table and, you know, she had, that was her last big Christmas. We had a really big party for her and she died in May. And I was there with Marlo and we helped her out, um, you know, and I was very sad. I came back to L.A., and I hadn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. I loved acting, but I, I just wasn't hot anymore. And I, I didn't have the best reps and people were a bit like, what happened to that girl? Where did she go? And I just had made life choices, I'd, choices to be with my child, choices to spend time with my family, um, you know, and this was, this would be kind of when I met you then. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's sort of, and I came back and I was a little bit like my manager had passed away which is really hard. It's like we started when I was 25 years old and he passed away when I was 31 and that was right at a really important part Mm -hmm. of my career and he had protected, kept me for himself. Um, And so I was now with the sort of hottest managers but they weren't really – I wasn't your regular actor, meaning that I'd do anything. I didn't want to be all over magazines. I just wanted to do good work and get good parts and not Mm – and I wasn't – it just wasn't right. It wasn't feeling right. And I tried, you know, but it just wasn't working. I went home, spent some time with my grandmother. She passed away. I remember actually saying to her when I sort of gave her her last bath and put her makeup on her, I said, Nana, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do now, you know. And she said, darling, all I can say is you've never been good at walking to the beat of anyone else's drum. You've got to walk to the beat of your own rhythm. And I kind of, oh, this is great. That's, what's, that's great direction, you know. And she passed away and um, I came back and I was really sad. I remember saying to Damien, you better come and get Marlo. And I'd been very strong through her passing. And I couldn't stop crying for like four or five days. How long ago was this now, Peter? Oh, four years ago. And um, I just couldn't stop. The pain was so great. It was probably about my nana and just about life choices. And here I was, like, you know, 30 five or six years old and not really anywhere in my career and not great not great managers and I I didn't have that team anymore and I was like what am I going to do and and also not incredibly ambitious that had gone too you know and I well but do you think you're talking about the drive that you were talking about at the beginning that drives you into it because you do still strike me as ambitious but I think well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but... Well, no, I'm ambitious, but my ambition now... Like, when you're younger, you don't have any sense of your mortality or you just, you just go, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. As you get older, especially when you have children, there's a bigger sense of responsibility. It's like every decision you make now, you've got to think about that child. You know, it, it's a whole other... Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because for me, it feels... And I've talked about this with other friends of mine who were creative comics or actors and they're they have a kid and it's there's a priority change that happens where it's not that your career necessarily even becomes less of a priority it's that something else becomes more of a priority so your career you you know being an actor or comedian or whatever you're doing that all seems more like this great hobby that you have 
and and the, when that priority changes, yeah, it it can feel even if it's not a loss of steam, it feels like just a real adjustment. Yeah, I mean. There were lots of opportunities that still came, but I didn't want to go to Namibia with the two-year-old because I was worried about Ebola. I didn't want to go and do a movie where it was night shoots for five months because I had a small child. Mm. So I decisions I would never have thought of before I just go now were concerns. Mm-hmm. And that makes you difficult in the eyes of reps, you know, when you've got this other human being that you're trying right. to... Right, they cannot understand. No, and that's... You would turn something down? Well, listen... You would turn it down? You know, the reality is to be a great actor is one thing, but to be a star, there's an inherent element of narcissism that must happen as we, you know, ab- absorb another character or find that in ourselves. The nature of such is we're not thinking about anyone else <clears throat> other than ourselves and this part and what we're doing. It's inherently narcissistic to be any good. My hat goes off to the actresses out there that have got incredible careers and beautifully well-adjusted children. I tell you, those women are champions. Because Which ones me, are those? I don't know. Yeah. But for me, I have a beautiful little boy who's incredibly well-mannered and conscious and a great kid. And I know and I hope that one day when I'm old and I need someone to read me Dr. Zeus books because I can't do anything... He'll be doing it. I may mm-hmm. not have, you know, you know, Oscars as doorstops, but I hope that I'm going to have a little boy that grows up to be a man that is a good... And he, he's, a, he's a very good kid, you know. I couldn't do it. I, I felt like I was very afraid when I was pregnant that I was really going to, uh, how am I going to do this? And I actually studied it like a role. I read every book I could about being a great mother. And so I thought I'll just pretend it's an acting role. But when he was mm-hmm. born... It just naturally happened. I couldn't be a great actress and a great mother. So I chose to be um, a mother because it wasn't really happening with the acting anyway. I wasn't as hungry. I I was all mixed up with all of that, you know. Mm -hmm. So this happened, the panties, because I came back. The marching to your own drum? Marching, and I came back. I was really sad, and I said to Damien, you better come and get Marlo. I had, like, a feeling in my pit of my stomach that just... And five days, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, I, you know... I rang friends. I was like, what do I do? People gave me Valium. That didn't work. I still cried, you know, and I wasn't... Um, and then after, I was like, I need to get laid. That's what I need to do. I need to have sex. If I have sex and I just channel all this into a great sexual experience, I'm going to feel a lot better. I don't know if we can say this on the internet, but that's yeah, the truth. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. No, it's good that you had that thought because I had forgotten about there was a period in, in – I don't know where we are in the time of me knowing you, but there was a period of time where I think you were going to marry a guy. Or- a Muslim. Yeah, the guy. Yeah, anyway, so keep going. I don't want to interrupt you or no, derail you. No, so, so you thought the solution to everything was to have sex? It was your phone going off? I've yeah, received right. a couple it's of texts. someone text. who's wondering about their order of underwear. Uh, so, uh, hold on. Uh, out Kevin there. McCarthy, I'm in the middle of a podcast and now you're in it too. Your order, will be ready, your order will be ready in about 45 minutes. I'm just waiting for the tailors to finish the velvets. Okay. Darling, I'm in the middle of an interview. I've taken the call. I've literally got a microphone and a, a person sitting here interviewing me. Can I call you back? Fantastic. I'd love to talk about I've got to go. I love you. I'll call you back. People Thanks. love these underpants. Bye. Bye. She says, yeah, that's also, he's got a finance partner for me. We, we need oh, one yeah. of those. Anyway, cut to, I need to get laid. I'm going to feel a lot better. 
I ring up. I've got a couple of phone numbers. You know, and I have a theory that, okay, if you're going to just go and have a good time, you've got to go with someone young because it can't be available. You know, there's a whole thing. So I wasn't looking for any contenders. I was just looking for a couple of – I wasn't even looking for contestants. I was looking for, you know, like – just something to feel better and like, not cry. I like that. Uh, I like the way you describe the boyfriend thing. There's contestants and contenders. Yeah, well, there's contestants. You know, every anyone can be a contestant. Yeah, anyone. You just got to meet them and see if they. And then, but there's a whole series of things that needs to happen to work out whether they're actually a contender. They have to have a job. They have to have a very good sense of humour, and they have to be in pursuit of something. Um, so. That's sort of said, you know, and then anyway, that's a whole other dialogue. So I wanted to uh, feel better. I went to my underwear drawer. I had some really sexy underwear and I had some really practical underwear and I had nothing that I felt I could put on that would make me feel better inside. And I looked around at all this beautiful fabric that I've been collecting. I had no idea why I had, but I've been collecting it as I was traveling and I had beautiful pieces of lace with jewels on them. I had all kinds of stuff. Some of these are really like... Because we're sort of surrounded by them, like like the this with this the lot of beads personality and stuff there. on it, and and that one there, yeah. Some of these underpants, are pretty. This great. would look great on a Lithuanian ski champion. This one here <laughs> is like would be mm-hmm. really great for like someone possibly from Maine, you know, in the well, garden. Those like those are made for some. It, those are those look like. Somebody's grandmother time traveled back and became young again, and then those were the sexy underpants that they designed. How you know, I mean, I'm not saying it right, but that you really but aren't they, saying it right because but, because they don't seem like something you'd like to see someone wearing. I, I think that they're very pretty, but they have a but they have a Victorian look to them yeah. at the same time as their as their. A young lady's underpants. I don't know how you could think that crushed velvet glitter on an ass could be Victorian, but I am going to go with it because you are Canadian, so you have a no, unusual perspective. I thought you were Canadian. No, Jake. I'm American. You really are, but why do I? I don't know. That's I don't know. A, it's a compliment. I'm going to take that as a compliment. No, it is. Yeah. It really is because you know Canadians are Australians with manners. So I just kind of anyway. Cut to. I actually decided to make some underwear. For the date. So I... I, um... I do like this idea. I don't want to throw you off, but I do like this idea of the difference between... Because it's a perfect way to describe your underwear. They're in between the practical underwear and the sexy underwear. Because sexy women's sexy underwear, to me, it always kind of seems a little bit ridiculous. I'm I mean, embarrassed when I see it. And, and I kind of feel like when... Um, when women put it on, it feels like they're trying to trick you because it's like those aren't real underwear. You just put those on to trick me. I mean, I don't need to be tricked. I want what's inside the underpants. <laughs> yeah, that. you know what, Jake? You should just be doing my tag phrases because that's kind of it. I've got this whole idea that basically you're at your best as a woman when you're evocative rather than provocative because when you're provocative it is like you're tricking men it's like you're tricking people and it's fleeting it's going to last about 20 minutes an hour depending on their age and their stamina and then they'll feel good for a little while but then it's back to uh, you know if you're actually wearing something as a woman actually that makes you feel good and is somehow with your personality something that makes you feel good it puts, you, it puts a nice little jump in your step as a woman. And when you're mm-hmm. in a mood like that and you're in a, a good place and your mind is, you know, you, you, you're sort of 
in a good place mentally and you feel good about yourself, men get the benefit of that. Now, I'm sort of a firm believer. I'm not a guy. But if I was a guy, I wish sometimes I was, but if I was, I would be like if I was at a party and there might be a girl that looks like a supermodel who's just like the you know hottest thing and and then there's a girl that maybe isn't that, but she's got she's really authentic and she really owns herself. She's got a good sense of humor and she's fun. I'm going to go for that girl because I think she's there's something more attractive about her. I want to be around that. Well, there's more. It's it's more fun to be around people who are fun than people who are beautiful. If you have to choose, choose the fun people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's it's fun to look at people who are beautiful. I actually love it when the beautiful people are fun. That's when it's really Well, that's good. really... Those are the people that we hate the most. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Um, you know, I'm with you, though, Jake, on that. I get, a bit in, I get a bit embarrassed. Like, when I... My feeling is when you put on those suspenders, those stockings and those outfits, you know, first of all, there's some incredible companies in the world really high-end doing it all. And then there's all these cheaper companies ripping off the really expensive companies. So the point is, why would you spend $700 when you can get it for 12 It's the same thing, same idea. And when you put it on... Yes, it's hot and it's sexy, but within a few minutes, you could be anybody in that outfit because the man's mind is gone. It is definitely in this other zone and other place. It's like slightly pornographic and there's no... But it's made... It's fictitious. Like you wouldn't put on one of those big rigs of, of lacy, strappy, harnessy underwear and then... Do a whole day. You wouldn't put them on at eight in the morning and go to work and then drop your kid off at gymnastics and then go meet someone for a hot date. You wouldn't. You only put that stuff on. In fact, you probably you might not even wear it for the hot date. You might come home after the hot date, put it on, come out of the bathroom, holy cow, take it off. It's over. The lifespan of the time that you're wearing that is short. Well, it's performance art, isn't it? It's like a. It's like we're at the circus and you put your clown outfit on. It's the same concept. It's the same mm, idea. Yes, and I do often think of my sex life kind of like a circus. <laughs> She's Just, from New Zealand. Let me get my let me get my clown outfit on. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, I think that's you know I don't know I I like a company called Irez. I think they're a fantastic underwear company. They've got the most beautiful underwear in the world. It's incredibly expensive, and so it should be. Um, but that's in the fancy. That's in the fancy frilly lacy lady. No, it's not fancy frilly lacy. It's just incredible laces. It's got great fit mm-hmm. and form. It fits your body incredibly, and it's you know in the price point for the one percent of the world that can afford it. Um, I am inspired by that. I have pieces that lend themselves to to being that simple, and mm-hmm. then I've got things that are just all about personality. Essentially, to get over my grief, I made 251 of a kinds. I made the first pair. I went on the date. He wasn't even worth contestant. He wasn't worth any. He wasn't even worth Did warm-up. he even get to see the underpants? No, he didn't get to see the underwear because he was not – he didn't get my mind. He wasn't into – he just couldn't get my head. I'm certainly a sapiosexual woman. You've got to get my mind. What in is order that sapiosexual? Sapiosexual means the mind, you know, person that – seduction happens through the brain. Mm-hmm. So you sort of have to get my mind to get my clothes off, you know. And so he wasn't – that wasn't going to happen, but I was thrilled to come home and start making more panties. So my grief was lifted. <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't 
get laid, but I had this purpose, this creativity. I made 250 of these pieces, and as I was designing them, I just kept thinking about all the different personality traits. I went through my own. There's quite a few living inside me. So I kind of went through my own personality traits, and then I thought about people in my life, women, and I made panties just for them. And then I went through icons from the past, Jenna Rollins, Liv Ullman, all these actresses, and I made panties just for them. And I had these 250 can you art look pieces. At, can, do you have those all sorted out on the website? Like, these are the Jenna Rollins panties? Do you, did, did you do I, that? Do you think I should? Well, well I, I don't just, know. Well, I've got the Joan Jett. As soon as you said it... Uh, well, that's the thing about the internet. People want to be able to look at everything. They're listening to this and they're thinking, I want to go see that. And it's like Wiley Wilson, W-Y-L-I-E Wilson. Just Google it. Go see these underpants. But as soon as you say that you made these general and underpants, I'm like, well, I would like to see the Liv Ullman no. general and underpants. <laughs> well, the Liv Ullmans are right here on the shelf. See them right here. Now, the reason they're the Liv Ullmans is... these yeah, ones in the front? Or yeah, the ones in the front that look like they've got leaves. The lace mm-hmm. is like... It's like with leaves. Because... Is it? When I was looking at that fabric, it just made me think of a Bergman film. And I used to imagine Liv Ullman in that underwear. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I made them. And then one day I actually used all these great art books. I had all of these art books at my house, painting books. And I opened up Francis Bacon or Jasper John, Tony Fry, Legere. And I put on music and I'd think of an icon and I would let the painters, you know, that's why the colours are so ridiculous. The way they're put together is so different because I'd actually take the palettes of great masters because I'm certainly not. Mm-hmm. And I kind of would make these panties. And then one day, this costume designer, Milena Ketanero, came over and for were dinner. you sewing them yourself at that time? I wasn't. I literally, I found a girl at the coffee shop and asked her. Her name was Tiris Wilson. So I thought, well, she must be good. How did you find her? I just went for coffee one morning and I just said, look, I, I'm making these. I've got this art project. I'm making panties. Can you sew? And she said, yeah, I can actually. Why did you ask her if she could sew? Because she had a, a thing on that was a sewn piece of art. She did sewing art. And so she came over and sewed up my first pair after, you know, like my proper pair for the Mm -hmm. date thing. And she continued. We did like six or seven pairs together. And then I actually went, I'm going to go downtown. That's that that place where they have all the sewers and things. And I went downtown and I drove around my BMW into an alley and I said, do you speak English? I sat outside a factory. (laughs) I'm not joking. No, I know you're not. I'm not. And I I asked... I know you're not. This is... I feel like... You know that this is one of your qualities that make that's different about you than anyone else. It's just maybe you don't even know it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know any other way other than let's go. What do we do? Well, this is the same as you see a lady with big boobs and you go over and talk to her and sell her a bra. This is the same as you've got an audition for a Sean Connery movie, so you go down to the off-track betting place and find a guy who can read the lines with you this is now you go have a coffee and you need someone to sew underpants so you just ask someone if they can sew and then it's like well that was good i wonder if i if i actually instead of just going to the coffee place to find that person what if i just go down, what if i go downtown to where the sewing people come out and yeah. i just talk to them ask them if they speak yeah. english and then i held up a pair of panties and i said <laughs> can you sew and he said he didn't speak english but his daughter did so his little 14-year-old daughter was there, Vanessa, I think her name was, and Delfino. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I was holding these panties in an alley. It was like some sort of deal going on. I said, can you make this fabric look like that panty? And I was terrible cutting. I just cut triangles. I didn't know how to make a pattern, nothing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they took the panties and said, it'll be $20, come back tomorrow. So the first few looked like bloomers. It was really, I've got all those. I've kept them all. I got better and better. And then the I prototypical moved. prototypical panties. The prototypical panties. And then I was like, oh, I like this. And I started like, you know, I was using my savings, just pouring through it. I had machines in my house. I was learning how to do this. I had no idea what I was doing. I just kept going. And then that famous costume designer came for dinner one night. And she took a little bit longer when she went to the ladies' room. And she came back. She said, Peter, darling, what are you making? What is this? And her name was Marlena Ketanero. She did all Kubrick's films. Uh-huh. And um, I said, and so oh. you know all these people from your acting and yeah, your... Yeah, from being yeah, an actress. Yeah. These are from my back in the day. And also, mm-hmm. too, you know, meeting Damien at 20... Damien, you know, right he was he was a very good writer-director and he was close friends with James Spader and Eric Stoltz and Malkovich and all these. I was very lucky. At 20, I kind of happened upon this incredible artistic community. You got your career. You got his connections. Well, yeah, so I you're, also you're too. operating in a big all, world. All of those people are not about being famous. None of those people. All of those people are about doing a good job and being paid for it. They're not... They're not right, obs- right, right. So I, I met. But a- you still have to find an entree, a way that you're you're connected to those people. That's what I, I didn't. I didn't mean that you were friends with them because you were famous. I meant that I was friends with them because they were that, friends of Damien's. They yeah, were my you friends. Find a way. You find a friend of a friend, and then you make friends. That's, yeah, that's sort of how you. Well, I I just went with him because I thought he was really sexy and hot and ridiculously quiet, which was my kind of man. I love them when they're all quiet. <laughs> I like to open him up. Yeah, why is that? And he was like a Leo. He was a lion. He was very quiet. And I just fell in love with Damien. And then just it happened that he had Mm -hmm. this whole world. I didn't know about that for a while because we were sort of six months in our own very beautiful bubble of being in love, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, For him, he was like this, you know, elegant, sophisticated Brit, you know, who'd come from a very... Well, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, he was raised in London in the 60s with movie star parents. But yeah. I was from the outback and this freaking wild bronco horse of just totally un... I had no fear. I was totally unedited. I just... So it was a really interesting mix, the two of us. He, he mm-hmm. really... He was like my Henry Higgins, for sure. And ironically, his stepfather was Rex Harrison. So it was interesting oh, that, that really he... He was, I was this, he kind of tamed me a little and mm. got me very, you know, and it mm-hmm. wasn't by any, he was so hardworking that it, I just followed his work ethic. I cannot imagine the untamed version of you. It's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, I can but, you imagine. you know, I lined up, I, you know, we would have dinner parties on the weekends with all these incredible actors and film stars and I'd be lining up from ads I'd found in newspapers for acting jobs. So I'd be lining up with 300 other people for a part. And then meanwhile you're having dinner yeah, with Yeah, because the, I didn't yeah. tell any of those people I was an right, actor. Because right. until you're acting, working, you're not. If you're at school, you're just, you're thinking and dreaming. Yeah, and it would have probably made them, it would be, be weird. No, they liked that I was Damien's girlfriend and I bought him out of yeah. himself and they enjoyed him and they enjoyed the whole thing. It was yeah. a great show. So when I actually started to work, I really got it all on my own. I really mm-hmm. earned every part of it myself. And that's the only way you actually keep it all. So, but, you know, um, back to, so yes, right, Malena so, so and all these people, the she comes party. to dinner, she loves the panty. She asks if she can buy, like, you know, 10 pairs. And I said, for what? She said, Christmas presents for actors and people I've worked with. So she bought the first 
lot and then just said to me, darling, I think you're very good. You should keep doing this. This is very unusual. I've never seen this. It's beautiful. So just with a bit of encouragement, I continued. And that was, you know, three years ago that Malena saw it. And now I've, you know, it, it helped that my neighbor was a brand man that had started Timberland and he was pushing me. And I just mm-hmm. got a lot of advice and I... I just decided, well, this is good. I can be there with my son in the mornings, you know, for school and I can be there when he goes to sleep at night and I can have some kind of life and I can still be an artist and I can still make people feel good. I just can't make them feel good in the normal way as an actor. I can make them feel good from the inside out and I can make them something beautiful that's like... Well, it was yeah, it's interesting because that's how you were describing the underpants when we were talking about the Liv Ullman underpants. You're doing an acting job with underpants. You're kind of imagining what character would wear these, and you're making them for that. And they're fictional characters, but there's enough of them that when I'm guest now, this is me helping you sell your underpants. When when women come on and look at the website and they see they're so different, but they have so much personality that. If you're a person who has personality, you're going to look at one of these and say, that, whoa, those are, those are me. That's what I I'd like. those on. I'd like to have a pair of panties and a bra for every woman from no matter what your religion, what you, I just would like to have something for everybody. When you go on the website, we've got a little bit because we, as we go, we're adding more and more. And what I'm going to have is I won't have sizes. I'll have icons. So you'll either be Audrey Hepburn or Mae West or somewhere in the middle. So you don't associate yourself with a size because all of those women, they were what they were. You get what you get and you don't get upset. And that's what they were. And they loved what they were. And I, women need to identify with that more of like, right. so I got curves. Size, but you pick out the person who is yourself. Yeah, you go, God, rather than going, I'm an extra large, you go, I'm Sophia Loren. Jeez, look at me. I'm Sophia Loren. And you hit on Sophia Loren. And when you go in there, you'll then see all the videos. Each product will be videoed on a girl that's Sophia Loren's size and your size. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not you, Jake. Obviously, you're more, much more like Marilyn Monroe. But I, I, couldn't, I don't know what lady I'm the same size as. Vanessa Redgrave. Do you think so? Yeah, I think you're very Vanessa Redgrave. I think, uh, Male version I of Vanessa Redgrave. Of, um, pants that I bought at the ladies' side of the Gap a long time ago, and they were uh, they were size 13. But I don't think I can get into a 13 anymore. No, no, Not just a 14, maybe. Ooh, I might be a 16 now. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's sort of the concept: is that I want women to love what they are because they are gorgeous. I mean, you know, it's. The whole idea that you've got to be a certain thing is not it. Men, you guys like what makes you feel good. And, and you know, something might look good and makes you feel good for 10 minutes, but you men kind of want a woman that just makes them feel good on the inside, you know, and they like being around. They, men want to be around women that make them feel like being a better man. You know, that's how you know you've got the right thing is, does this woman make me feel like being a better man? Yeah. That's going to be my woman. Does this man make me feel like being a better woman? Yeah. So as a woman, you just got to feel good in yourself. And I'd like to try and do that. I hate seeing all these underwear commercials where the women look – I don't look like that. They're like mod- – they're incredible, walking down runways with wings and outfits. And it's just – it's really intimidating, you know. And I, I, I don't want to – I don't like to associate a face with a body ever if I'm looking at underwear. So – I'm going to try. I mean, we're, it's baby steps. We're just at the beginning, you know. Um, 
but it's fun and I like it. And I like seeing women's reactions when they put the underwear on and it fits them well and hides all the things and makes them feel better. You know, I don't know, as an artist, I don't want people to control my ability to express myself as an artist, you know, and I think as an actor, I'm limited. I can work as an actor, but, you know, I could put a show on in the street, I guess, with a tin. But, you know, unless someone gives me an opportunity, I'm not going to necessarily get an opportunity to do the art form I'm trained in, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than waiting for those opportunities and, you know, I'm just doing something else. You know, I, I love film and I'll probably get back to it, but perhaps I'll be in a position where I can finance the movies and act in them sometimes or not. Or Well, nowadays you can make so much stuff on your own. I mean, yeah. this thing that we're doing is my little homemade thing. It's not a film, but it's, you know... It, we're we're so close. It's already happening, people making their own little films and video projects for the internet and... Uh, I love it. I say to people when they come in and they're kids and they go, oh, you were that actor. And what do you, I go, yeah. I said, well, you know, my best advice to you is certainly don't wait for someone to give you an opportunity. Yeah. Do it yourself. Because even before all of the internet and all of this, some of the greatest writers in the world, and they just went and did it. They just went, Charlie Chaplin just went and made them, just made those movies. Well, it has to be you know, just go do it. Otherwise, just, you're going to be crazy if, you, if you're always waiting for someone else to give you that chance. I mean, to be an actor, yeah, you do have to audition and you have to try and get involved with other people's projects. But you can also start your own projects. Yeah, but you... You have to do that and you go for it. But in my case, for example, I'm rather specific and I'm not, I don't know, I'm certainly not Kate Blanchett. I'm not that, but I'm specific, you know. So as I say to other people, you know, you can go for it, but if you're not getting the parts, it's not personal. It's just you're not what they're looking for. So you just got to kind of do your own thing so that you, you can continue to be creative. I I don't know. If I couldn't create stuff, Jake, I would be madder than a cut snake. And we know that I'm certainly on the edge of, you know, something rather colourful. It's just an Australian term. She's madder than a cut snake, that one. You know, I don't know Mm -hmm. where that comes from, but let's imagine a cut snake. Like a snake that's cut. I guess it's. If you cut a snake with a knife, it would be freaked out. It would be freaked out. You know, upset. So there's so many. Here in America, we say crazier than a shithouse rat. Crazy. Or in Australia, we say she's a good one, that one, but there's a few, few ruse loose in the top paddock. The other one is... <laughs> and what, what happens when there's ruse loose in the top paddock? They say, oh, she's, she's a nice girl, but there's a few ruse loose in the top paddock. Got it. Meaning like, you know, kangaroos aren't the smartest animals. They've got very mm-hmm. small brains and a rather big body. That doesn't go well together. Do they? Yeah, I don't know much about kangaroos. No, they're, they're not smart. You know, there's another one too, which I like, which is the lights are on, but the wattage is low. These are all just Australian yeah, yeah. kind of, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I do like your idea, though, of making underpants for men that are as evocative as those for women, you know. I guess it's all about having a sense of humour. And I like the idea that when a woman takes her clothes off, if the man is good enough to be elevated to contestant, you know, the situation of being a contestant and he has earned the opportunity to see the lady with her clothing off. I like the idea that she's wearing something that's so beautiful that for one second the guy stops like a 15-year-old maybe and goes, wow, that's really beautiful. 
And then he looks at the woman and there's like a connection that goes on that's beyond some physical, I have to devour this woman. Mm-hmm. It's something else that happens, you know. So I don't know. I, I, I kind of like that. that just, I'd like to be making underwear that for a moment makes you stop just for a second and admire it and perhaps leave it on longer, you know. Mm. I don't know. Well, I gave my wife this pair of underwear that I got the last week when I was down here, and she really loved them as a gift. And I would say we were probably due for some sex anyway. Mm. But uh, but the underpants really, I, th- I think they helped. Really helped. I've actually been thinking about Belinda since then because I'm trying to come up with a, you know, Wiley Johansson panty. Yeah, um, okay, great. Because I can't really... Thinking about you and designing a panty, I'm just coming up blank. You know, it's not... Yeah, working. I don't know. I don't know what... Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready for these underpants. No, but I can do a pair yeah. for your wife. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about her because she's like got... The, you know, she looks from a distance like a Grace Kelly. She's got something about her that's Patty Hanson and Grace Kelly. Incredibly beautiful. And... F- Watch you know, out like it. a model and an actress, and she's got this. She looks like that, but then you meet her, and she's as fast and sharp. Actually, she's probably faster and sharper than you, and that's hard because you are, you know, quite sharp. And she's also incredibly smart and beautiful and funny. So you know, she's an, an inch a tough one to, because I kind of want to put her in. She's, like, all natural. Like, I feel like I need to put her in all organic from the nature, some beautiful sort of, you know, she's like some sort of angelic goddess, you know. There's something ethereal about her, but then she's really grounded too. It's a, she's a tough one. I don't know. I've got to work that out. I, I will make a pair of underwear that's perfect for her. Great. I've got, to, I've got to work it out. She's a challenge, that one. It's tricky to know, like, would you have a whole drawer full of these Underwear, would this be your everyday, all, all the time, every day? I don't normally ones? wear underwear. Okay, let's just get that oh, on the okay. table. Okay, I didn't... Uh... I just want to say that. Someone said, what's a wily girl? I said, look, she's not really a woman that tends to wear underwear, actually. But if she's got to wear underwear for functional reasons or she's got some events, she's going to wear this underwear because it's mm-hmm. really comfortable and it's got personality. You know... I I wear underwear because I want to feel good in what I'm wearing or I'm going out. And But generally, I don't tend to like it. I like to be natural, nothing. I used to have a joke. I mean, it's still my joke, but I don't do it really in my show anymore about how women's underwear are always fancy and, and you know, special and evoking some kind of mood. Like you were – like the whole idea that you're wearing comfortable underwear – or underwear that make you feel good about yourself and men's underwear – are just that is to protect my pants from my ass. <laughs> I need a I need something in between there just in case. I really I don't want to I don't want to No, I mean my mind is going right where It's yeah. just I feel like the underwear is to is so that to to protect your pants from all your things that are happening from your open from your business from you your business from your open yeah I don't want to spell it out for yeah, you but I, you know you what I mean certainly have yeah you got, yeah, it. I got it you got it but I having said that Jake you have really inspired me because as I imagine you know your beautiful wife sort of skipping down some field towards some beautiful beach in some beautiful white fabulous sort of tricked out incredible pair of underwear simple but 
sophisticated, and I imagine you kind of waddling down with all of the. I'm running gear. behind her with well, a, not... with a little with a, a mild case of diarrhea. <laughs> no, no, you're holding the surfboard, the picnic basket. You know, you've got the hat on, the sunscreen, and kind of waddling down. And as you're sort of pants are coming, we notice that you have very functional underwear on. I'm really inspired. I'm going very to very functional, like almost plastic functional. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I'm going to definitely um, make something great because you know, as a woman, you know, when you guys actually take your trousers off and we see some kind of unattractive, obviously very well worn pair of underpants. No, I like not- to have. I'd like to have a fairly new. I bought some nice new under, underpants when I was up in Canada last. I'm not Canadian, but I worked there. Right, but you like their and underwear. And I bought some underwear there that I was. I continue to be pretty happy with. Yeah. So this is the thing. We do like it when we get to see men in nice underwear. Mm-hmm. So I kind of would like to do some nice underwear for men, but I'd quite like the idea of having matching socks because I think that's quite cool. Like we have. Mm-hmm. Long thigh-high socks. I think it'd be quite nice for a man to have socks and, and maybe a headband like a '70s, like a sweat <laughs> tennis sweatband. No, I think that's yeah. Jake. Really, I think that's what we're going to do. I think we're going to make some lovely underwear with a nice sock and some kind of headpiece matching for really to stimulate the whole look to bring it together like high heels for a woman a heel brings uh-huh. it together for a man it could be a headband of sorts. Yeah. But I would love it if you could be. I would love to consult on that. The matching, the underpants, socks, headband, maybe sweatbands too for your wrists. Yeah. I'm um, the full kind of Bjorn Borg, oh God, Opre I, match. Yeah, but I'm just getting that. I've got getting stronger. <laughs> I'm like, da 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 Yeah, there's all kinds of music that you could play for the video of that. You know, you've really disturbed me with my website too because now I actually have said to the girls, we need to do a bit for men. Like, what, what, we're making men's underwear? And I said, no, no, we're not making men's underwear yet, but wouldn't it be great to have, like, a man with a lot of hair in our underwear? No, I was just saying, as you go like- sizing up, as you go, you know, you've got videos for all your different icon sizes, just just as a joke, not that you're making underwear for men, but, but eventually there is a video in there of a, like... A hairier version of Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace. Yeah. And he's just in the underwear, being sexy, in the bed. Maybe a little feminine. I I actually think it's... I, I, I did actually bring it up with a couple of people because I, I thought it was funny and I thought we have to maintain an element of a sense of humour. Right. Particularly when we're in our underwear. That's the fun bit. And they went, we think it's too soon. You're launching a luxury brand. You can't have a hairy yeah, man I think, rolling around. I think, they were, I think their instincts are probably right, as flattered as I am. I, but I said, but why not? I mean, luxury is funny. It's funny, isn't it? Like, can't we? I just think it would be good. And I said, and you know what? See, actually, to be honest, I've had a lot of co- – I've had like – well, not a lot. I've had three calls from men asking me if I make underwear for men that's women's underwear. Well, what they mean is if I bring in my fake breastplate and my fake hips, would you make underwear? Like for men, like, you know, uh-huh. like Ed Izzard, he likes to cross-dress. There are men out there that want to do that. Does so he I, really like to do that? I, I mean, uh, well, he, Do you know him enough that... I don't know him at all. I really okay, enjoy him. I, I, I love his videos. I think he's really funny as a comedian, but I do wonder a bit, like, is that is that really a thing that he does or is that a thing that he said that he do, does that he did in order to kind of stand out well i don't know i mean he's british they all a bit you know he's got that thing 
Yeah, we don't understand. We, don't we really, can't understand. No, that. we don't really understand. I, I think he looks very comfortable in heels and makeup. He does look mm-hmm. very comfortable, and perhaps he puts that on an alter ego. Happens, yeah. but I actually think there could be quite a, you know, I mean, on a side note with this website, we're also adding a whole thing to this, Jake, where I'd really like, I've had women come in that have had mastectomies. Not, this is not funny, but they come in no. and, and they want to, and I just, I, I do have both my breasts, you know, still. And I, I think we're, we're trying now to have a part of our website that every woman that has had, you know, who, who has a mastectomy knows that there's a company that we would like to give her her first free bra, have a first fitting for her, have her come in and, let, you know what I mean? Like, if I could do that, if I could have this, some that's of the sales. A, that's a thing that you want to aspire to. Yeah, well, that's soon. Yeah. It's just there's yeah. only six of us, so it's a bit hard to do everything at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I'd really like to be able to do that, to offer women yeah, that out there. that sounds great. So that basically every sale that's triggered from everyone else, they all pay for their sisters, at, uh, uh, you know, and so that we can get we can mm-hmm. get them in a bra and make them feel good about themselves. Because, again, it's really not about your body. It's really about your mind that is is where yeah. all of the magic comes from with the girls, you know. So, Jake, I've, I guess I've – I don't know if I've got anything left. I mean, I know, uh, am I, I repeating myself? Great, this was such a great conversation. It always – there is a – believe me, don't feel bad. There's a bit of a – at the end of all of them, there's a little like, ah, well, we did it, didn't we? So yeah. I feel like this was a good conversation. And I just – I'm – I would have never thought that I would have been so interested in you talking about these underwear because it it, it just didn't seem like what it really is, is, which is such a heartfelt kind of way that you're connecting with not just yourself but other people. I know. It's odd, isn't it? Strange. Yeah. But you've got to you, – I don't know. I have to have purpose. Otherwise, I'm dead, you know, yeah. and – I I was it wasn't working the other way that was yeah. working before. So I just started doing this to feel better and then all of a sudden I started thinking well it can help others feel better and I guess as an actor that's what it was about for me too. I want to make people feel better. Well, it's nice to be talking to you now before the thing before it really launches full on and and you're going to have the the big success that you're going to have. You reckon? I mean, we don't know about that. We shouldn't. We don't know about it, but I bet I think people are going to respond when they check them out online and when they start to see to see what you're doing. I, I think I think people are going to love it. Well, we but, hope so. You know, yeah. I feel like David and Goliath, this little tiny Davida. You know, but we'll see how we go. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm grateful. But I, you know, I'm here for a couple of months on Abbott Kinney, and the first 200 customers that come and meet us here, they get private fittings. And they tell us what works. It's the best way to go. So, so they should come down. People they should, should come, come down to Santa Clara and Abikini, the glitter roof. It's the glitter roof with the sparkly mannequin, Wiley Wilson. Yeah. Oh, what's your secret of happiness? Purpose. Well, I don't know what you want in your life, ladies and gentlemen, but that was almost an hour and a half of sexy lady underpants talk. And I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. I've got to get back to the good time I'm having here in New Orleans, but I'm going to be back with you next week. I appreciate every last one of you. And that means you who think that it doesn't mean you. I do mean you. Thank you for uh, listening. Be good to yourselves until we meet again. Do not give up. There will be plenty of time to give up later. And treat yourself to a new pair of underpants this week. Okay?
Do that. Do that for yourself. Do that for yourself and all of us, okay? I've been meaning to say to you, those underpants you're rocking have seen better days. So get with it. And bye-bye. Yeah.